I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. We also do a Sopranos trivia show every now and then on the same feed, so be sure to check that out too. And if you want to play, DM at Pada Bing on Instagram. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get shows. And if you like what we're doing, please spread the word. If you'd like a pictorial and caption companion to the podcast, follow at Potabang on Instagram. And as always, thank you for being a part of this journey. Coming up is my conversation with Jacob Gallagher of the Wall Street Journal. Jacob writes about fashion for the journal and recently wrote a piece on Tony's patterned shirts. It was only a matter of time before those became in vogue again, right? Jacob also happens to be a big fan of the show, and we chopped it up on all fronts. Great guy, great chat. So here's that. Enjoy and thanks. So, Jacob, thanks for doing the podcast. Of course, my pleasure. So you write about fashion, among other things, for the Wall Street Journal. Why is Sopranos fashion in vogue right now? So I have been re-watching the show myself, which a lot of people have, kind of, um, I suppose, around the 20th anniversary. This is my, I'm like halfway through my third rewatch right now, um, or my second rewatch, my third go. But I've been watching it and thinking, you know, a lot of other people were watching it. It kind of seemed like something that was in the air. And then I did pick up on the fact that, like, a lot of the shirts that people, that the guys in the show wear, you know, you've got Tony and, you know, pussy shirts and, um, in silk shirts, they seem to be like kind of coming back in style that kind of a little bit gaudy, a little bit garish kind of interesting patterns. Um, I, I said in the story that I ended up writing, like Tony shirts kind of have this, these patterns to them that look like Las Vegas casino carpets or, you know, weird Picasso, you know, knockoffs and um that kind of weird abstract patterns seem to be coming back into popularity in men's fashion i mean they're not so big but they definitely um have this have similar patterns to them so i i thought maybe there's a story here and, and i i kind of looked deeper and there certainly was and and um you know people people really responded to it um you know if, if you look around at like the kind of loud printed shirts that younger guys are wearing today they're not 100 percent like the shirts that the guys were on the show but they're definitely not far off from them they're inspired by it for sure i was thinking when i read your piece i was thinking back to like early bonobos or bonobos i hope i'm saying that right yeah they used to have these patterned shirts and i would think in back of my mind like that's kind of that's like what a what a 21st century tony soprano uh wear a shirt like that and the answer was yes you as are most people were most focused on the patterned button down shirts donned by tony bobby and to lesser degrees junior silvio inferio what are some of the reasons those shirts are trending with youth right now what are you seeing yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that one thing that we're seeing in menswear is the past couple years, we had this interesting Hawaiian shirt revival. And Hawaiian shirts were the were the big thing. You know, they were from Forever 21 to Fendi. You know, Gucci had them and Gap had them. And they kind of really ran the gamut. And 
we're now kind of seeing this evolution off that we're moving away from like the floral patterns, the things that are really so uh, overtly Hawaiian to just like general pattern short sleeve button up shirts. Now, my grand theory is that the reason why this is all happening is because of the internet and of Instagram and the way that people shop right now, the way that people do take in fashion right now, it's all very digital based. It's all very kind of looking at stuff on our phones or on computer screens. So people like clothes, both people and brands tend to like clothes that really stand out. So that's one factor I think that's getting us to this point where like these kind of loud poppy shirts do make an impact. And two, I think that there is a certain kind of levity to them. Like, you know, one guy I interviewed in the story, one, one fan of the show, he mentioned like Tony's shirts kind of, they almost humanized him in a certain way. Like they added a weird, like kind of lightheartedness to him as a character. Cause like they could be kind of funny at times. Um, and I think that that, that is true. Like these shirts do do that for you. They make you kind of look a little bit more lively, if you will. And people seem to like that, you know, it's a time that men are taking a little bit more, more, uh, more risks, if you will, with how they're dressing. And this kind of plays into that. Yeah. You talked about, you mentioned in the story, you talk about Tony's wardrobe as kind of humanizing or making him more relatable to broad swaths of audiences. What is it about is there something more than levity that you're seeing or is it, is it as simple as that? Just wanting to be fun and whimsical in a pretty, you know, weird sort of climate that we're living in. Yeah. See, it's funny because I think for Tony, it's interesting because I'll never really know what it was a hundred percent that they were trying to do with those shirts. Um, Did you ever I talk to Juliet Polksa? The, the... No, it's, it's, it's 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 funny. I'd spoken to if I had tried to get a contact in, like contact information for her, and I couldn't find anything. And then I noticed that she's not doing the costumes for the prequel. Um, and she had worked on a few Law and Order episodes. She worked on quite a few Law and Order episodes recently. But I spoke to the the woman who runs Soprano Style is actually a friend of mine as well. She and I um, we we were talking, and I said, you know, have you tried to contact her? And she'd spoken to her once and, and had had her interaction with her. But she, the impression that I got, and, and, and again, I couldn't get contact info for, for Juliet, so I wasn't able to confirm this, is that she doesn't necessarily want to talk about things right now. I could be totally wrong. That was just kind of where, where things stood. Um, but I would say to kind of go back to, to Tony's shirts, I think that whatever they were trying to do for him Maybe they just showed how confident of a guy he was. Maybe they just showed his bravado. You know, it's kind of hard to say. I think that he was, you know, as the head of the family and as this kind of larger guy, no one was going to question him wearing these shirts. On on a guy out on the street, they definitely definitely do stand out. Um, You know, it just kind of, it's like, pick your flavor. It's like, are are you wearing them because you want to be seen? Are you wearing them because you just find the pattern cool? Like, it's interesting. Um, I'm curious if, you know, this trend will endure because these shirts do kind of have a timestamp. You know, you can wear them a few times, but if you start wearing them all the time, then you become that guy in that shirt. And that's, you know, no one wants that. I mean, I, I started the story by talking about Tony's Tabasco shirt that became so closely associated with him. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's that, that is what kind of happens with these loud shirts. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Just to echo uh, Juliet Polksa, by the way, I have tried to reach out to her as well. And I, I take a little bit of satisfaction that with the full resource and force of the Wall Street Journal, you were not able to find her. So I don't feel so bad yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I am really interested to see, you know, how the prequel is going to look. Yeah. I, I, I'm, there are some the, pictures the, out now. Have you seen the pictures that yeah. have been... I was just having this discussion the other day with 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 a friend of mine who, who works in the industry. Like, it's so hard to get style of that period right now. Like, Mad Men did it so well, and so the bar is kind of really so high to a good do point. style of the East Coast during that time period. So I'm really hoping, you know, so far, like the polos that Junior wears seem to be totally right. These kind of knit polos that he's got going on, and and you know. I'm really curious to see, like, like Johnny Boy is wearing these, like, mesh shirts in them. They're, like, kind of these funny things. Like, I'm really curious to see um, how they do achieve it. You know, the style of that period is so important to men's fashion. Like, it's such a, that's really, like, a definitive time period. Mad Men, I think, really thrived off that of, like, that was when men really, quote-unquote, got dressed, if you will. Um, but her not doing it, it's so interesting. You know, she did so many seasons of, of of the Sopranos and she defined that look and totally so it'll be it'll be curious to see kind of if, if it's noticeably if her absence is noticeably different you know the pilot was costume designed by Ann Crabtree who is uh did Handmaid's Tale more recently yeah. and I had her on the podcast and we talked about the pilot episode and her work on that and how it kind of started but like a lot of like more in-depth questions were like we're gonna you'd have to ask Juliet you'd have to ask Juliet so somebody's right. gonna find her one day and we'll get some of the we'll get some of that clarity um you mentioned the you mentioned similarity to picasso um but there's also some bauhaus there in the sopranos some french impressionism in there too are you seeing art history rear its head in other contemporary fashion and design right now um a little bit a little bit you know like like i i mentioned in the story like i think that we are in this time period where and I couldn't fully get into this because this was kind of a weird tangent, but like the the Sills, you know, Sill and Infuria, Versace's really having this moment right now. There is a kind of a sense of of gaudiness that's coming back. And you know, one one person I spoke with for the story, I, I don't think that this made it in there. But we were talking about how like the Tabasco shirt really she saw it as really being a reflection of like this logo moment that we're in and and i thought that that was a really interesting kind of parallel of like logos for a while were not acceptable and now they are again so we're seeing kind of a lot of brands play with their own logo language on shirts and stuff like that Mm. and versace versace certainly one of those brands so it made me think of like fiorio's like like all the gold like the shirts that he wore that had like the kind of the gold details and the ornate swirling yeah the the kind of ornate swirling prints to them and that felt so like classically Italian luxury and that certainly is, is kind of having a moment right now as well. Interesting. What's going yeah. on what's going on in modern fashion? You write about some major houses that are literally taking yeah. cues out of Tony's closet. What are some of the houses? What are some of the brands and like what are the things that they're coming out with? Yeah, I mean Prada is doing all these it's funny we didn't end up including them in, in the roundup of shirts in the, in the story but Prada does all of these really interesting kind of they're, they're a little bit geometric, they're a little bit abstract patterns, and, and, and some of them are look almost like watercolor paintings, and then Dolce & Gabbana does a ton of this stuff. They're actually, the, the shirts that they do are kind of closer to that that Tabasco shirt, and they might have, you know, 
bottles on them or they might have food on them and that kind of stuff. And then there was a designer, Dries von Noten, he's a Belgian designer, and he, he partnered with um, this uh, they're a European textile company called Pantone. And, and um, or he was a he, Pantone was a textile designer, and they did these kind of almost deco esque, very colorful, loud patterns. They're they're more on they're probably louder than anything that Tony would really wear. But, you know, there, there's this certain kind of, it's an interesting asymmetry is what we're seeing right now. And, and you know, that kind of speaks to what Tony's shirts were, where they were somewhat artistic, but they were they were pretty asymmetrical and they kind of had patterns that went all over the place. And, and, and that's definitely where people are drawing from. And, you know, it is just kind of this evolution, in my opinion, of, you know, Hawaiian shirts and just finding a new way to kind of break that box a little bit and, and, and find something new. If somebody wanted to buy like a Tabasco shirt or somebody wanted to buy the, like the picture that you have in your piece, like if you want to buy a Tony Soprano shirt right now and you decide after listening to this, like, I want to get one of those, like, what do you yeah. do? What is the order of operations? How would you find one? So for starters, the, the Tabasco shirt is impossible to find. I've like tried. I've tried to find that exact shirt like a bunch of times. Tabasco has made things that are close to it, or Tabasco licensees have made things that are close to it. I've never seen that exact shirt. I've never. I've never come across that shirt. Um, if you want shirts that are really, really close to the show, you, if you look up like vintage Nat Nast or vintage um, Tommy Bahama or vintage. There was like there's a couple other brands. If you actually there's a there's an old interview with with Julia Polska where she does talk about the brands that they actually pulled from. If you really really want a shirt like Tony does wear, find this interview with her and then eBay those brands and just hope that they don't fit Gigundo because that's how those shirts do fit. I mean they fit huge. Yeah, it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to tell because like Bobby Bacala and Tony like they're such big guys especially like as the series goes on when tony just gets bigger and bigger they, they kind of hide how big these shirts really are they're huge um if you want something that's going to fit like a little bit better there's a brand called saturdays that's out of new york i think they make a shirt that's like really really close to something that like tony or like sill might wear at some point in the show there's like a there's a brand actually out of Malmo, sweden um called tradien and they make a shirt that is kind of like horizontally striped and it has these like funny like black and, and yellow tones to it that really to me looks like something that tony might have worn and then finally there, there there is this company out of they're they're in somewhere in england i mentioned them in the piece they're called casual connoisseur they're actually two companies it's casual connoisseur and far afield and they've worked together on they did it once where they re-released a shirt of Tony's from, I believe, season two, and they're working on a shirt from season four or season five, rather. They're working the shirt that they're about to release um, is the shirt that Tony wore when he confronted um, Steve Buscemi's character, and it's like this very famous shirt that kind of I believe that it has circles to it. That's like kind of what the base of the pattern is, um, and they're working on that right now, and they're gonna come out with that soon, I believe. And if you follow them on Instagram, they, they'll like tease it and stuff like that. They tease their last shirt. Um, but they do like the most authentic reproductions of these that I've seen so far. But most of the stuff that's out there is kind of close to, not exact. Um, if you're really going for something exact, as I said, 
find this interview with Julia Polska and then just do, I believe that the interview is on the independent. I'm sure that you've, you've cited it before through the run of this show. Um, and, and, and do the best you can to try to find one of those on eBay. Good stuff. Um, yeah. You write about normcore as a fashion trend. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of kids listen to the podcast, but there's also some like, you know, uh, OG Sopranos, the ones that watched it on DVDs in the audience as well. Can you explain what that is and how the Sopranos yeah. fits in that box? Yeah, so normcore is kind of this this trend, if you will, or this, this, this quote-unquote way of dressing that I would say bubbled up around the mid-2000s, and the idea behind it is that you just dress in what would be deemed like average egalitarian clothing. So it's what led to the rise of New Balance sneakers, champion sweatshirts, you know, kind of washed out Levi's jeans, Patagonia fleeces, quote-unquote dad baseball caps, like these kind of things that like any suburban dad would have in his closet just kind of fell into line with being quote unquote popular within fashion. Some speculate that the idea came from this will or this want to democratize where fashion was heading. Things were getting too expensive. People didn't want to spend too much money on clothes. And they thought, well, I can just style this stuff in a way that looks good. But what it led us to was this point where, basically high fashion co-opted this look and then repackaged it and made it expensive again. So if you look at anything that like Balenciaga, for example, has come out with over the past couple of years, they're a brand that's very good at packaging like your dad's ski parka and like a pair of, you know, running shoes and making them quote unquote high fashion and selling them for thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So where the Sopranos kind of fits into this is like these guys, like, they they are just ultimately Jersey dads. Like it's a specific look to it of like, they obviously have a little bit of money. They probably, I say in the piece, like they probably watch Goodfellas a few too many times. Cause there's like a lot of gold chains going on at certain points and, and, and the A shirts they wear, but you know, the pleated pants they wear, these kind of backyard barbecue shirts that they wear, you know, to, all of Tony's like, earth tone polos that he wears throughout like that's what normcore is um and it is just a reflection of fashion being cyclical in a certain way and the way in which fashion kind of folds in on itself and references things you know that are from the street all the time to make it expensive and make it you know high and lauded and what have you um and i think you know one big thing about normcore is like it's just in my opinion, it's driven a lot by nostalgia and that's kind of what drove a lot of people, I think, to rewatch the show or to watch the show for the first time is like nostalgia. Like, you know, I, I personally started rewatching the show this time. I think the last time I'd rewatched it was probably like four or five years ago. I wanted to rewatch it now because like I was kind of burnt out on, on all the other TV that's out there and these guys felt comfortable and they felt familiar and like, it's kind of you're you like to be back with this group of people that you know. And Normcore does the same exact thing. It's things that you remember your dad wearing, or it's things, you know, champion sweatshirts, things you remembered wearing when you were just a kid. It's kind of comfortable, it's cozy, it's 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 like it's a warm embrace, if you will. It's a great way to put it. That's nostalgia's number one reason why a lot of people keep coming back to it and it's happens to just be really well written and really timeless at the same time. 
Yeah. Um, you mentioned that these shirts would be pretty common at Coachella right now. Did yeah. anyone you know catalog this particular look there the past two weekends? Oh, it's funny. I actually, it, I, I've like not paid any attention to, to I, sh- I should be paying better attention to what's coming out of Coachella. But um, no, I actually don't know. I really don't know. Okay. That's a great question though. Yeah. Um, wrapping things up, are you obviously yeah. you rewatched the show three times. Yeah. You're, you're a pretty big fan. It's fair to say a cat yeah. better than yeah. a casual fan. Um, what's your favorite episode? Okay. So I, I figured that you would ask me this. So my favorite episode is, is, I don't know if anyone is, is I, I'd be curious if anyone said this before. Um, I really like commendatory. Um, Deep cuts. I, yeah, I love that episode. I think that I would say prior to this rewatch, my favorite was college. I think that college is like, I'll just say, and I'm sure people have said this on your show before, like college and David Chase has even said things close to this. Like college is like that real turning point for the show where Tony like does the evil thing and you see that he goes like over the line and I think that that kind of makes the show have a gravity to it that that if they hadn't had Tony kill that guy, then it wouldn't have had that you know weight behind it. Um, so I really see college as like where the show starts to like ramp up into this both good and bad place. Like I still think the show is like a beautiful family drama, and I'm not one of those viewers that's like obsessed with the mob stuff about it. But I do think that like getting the menace of him and how far he will go is important. Um, I wish that people didn't a hundred percent focus on that aspect of the show, but to commendatory, like I actually, I love that episode because it shows like, I feel like it's really prescient with where America is heading at that time. Like you have this real divide between these guys who consider themselves Italian in America, but they have almost nothing in common with the Italians that are in Italy. They don't, they, they're not speaking the same language, both figuratively and literally. Like, they're totally not on the same page. There's all of Polly's assumptions about the culture. It, it really shows how, like, the American experience is a great thing for immigrants, but it also does change you. And it has these questions of identity that I think are really fascinating of, you know, where do immigrants sit within America and how do they kind of carve out their identity and pick parts of America and pick parts of Italy. And, you know, when he says like, you know, do you have the gravy and they don't understand at all what he's saying and they kind of make fun of him. I found that really interesting. And, and, and then the part of it that I really love is then you have as sad as it is, then you have Christopher who represents this kind of real lost American generation who goes over there. He, he, you know, he gets out of the car. He says, I can't wait to go sightseeing. And he ends up just doing drugs the whole time and he doesn't see anything. And it's this real microcosm for me of Christopher who's one of my favorite characters through the show of, you know, what I think is that the core of his inner struggle on the show, which is he doesn't really know who he is. Where's my art? Where's my arc? He can never figure out what he wants to be. And he, to me, is always like, you know, he is so much closer to um, Anthony Jr. like than anyone else on the show. Where it's like just this, they just represent this like kind of lost wayward America. And that's like really interesting to me. Like, you know, these guys, these kids that like don't know what their future is going to hold. It's like, it's so prescient. And, and I really felt like, him just going there and he has no understanding. He like 
pretends to care about the culture and about his heritage, but he, the drugs are too strong of a pull, and he just wastes his time. And in one episode, it like captures what happened to so many young people who's like parents just wanted the best for them in America and you know all that stuff, and they just kind of get lost. Love it. Uh, yeah, that episode is really great on multiple levels. And it has one of the best lines, too, when Tony says, um, a woman boss, and Furio responds, in America, you don't have. Yeah, 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 I love that. It's And she's such, she's such a great, I, I, I thought she was such a great character. Really and, great. You know, the sh- and the show, unfortunately, does not have, like, enough fully fleshed out, you know, women characters. And she, that's one of the few episodes where I think that there's, like, a really strong woman, just, like, you know, totally full, full complete character. I will have to give one shout-out. It's not a favorite episode, but I've got to, as someone who cares about men's fashion, I have to shout-out Jackie Jr., who could have who could have been one of the great American designers if only he'd lived <laughs> in Meadow and gone to FIT. I, love, I, still, I still love that line when he says, what I really want to do is men's fashion. You know, he was such a Luddite. He yeah. was such a dull. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and just, I love that idea that, that they put those words in his mouth. I, I, I still, I'm, I'm still a little bitter about it because they kind of make the idiot, the guy that's interested in fashion. But, um, I did think that was so funny to, to, to hear that on the show. No, it had so much. We, one of the things we do on the podcast is like Netflix spinoff series that could come from the individual episodes that we look at. And that would have yeah. been a great, like standalone, like limited series. A look at the, the fashion career that could have been Jackie April yeah. Jr. Yeah, I love that. I, it, it's that whole you know he he was just such an interesting guy because he had these like that actually was a really I I you know I'm not old enough that I was watching the show when it first aired, but there's there's something there about him being this kind of aspirational thuggish guy in some aspect, but then also being tender enough to to want to you know do men's fashion or whatever. I found that really interesting. Like. It's it's like a it's like a weird mix of a character, and clearly the one side of him just won over, and he you know suffered the fate that he suffered. Yeah, no, it's those those uh, dichotomies are always fascinating. And there's Tony, obviously, yeah. and the ducks. You know, it's just these two yep. the two sides of these guys. Uh, yep. Favorite character not named Tony. <laughs> um, wow, favorite character not named Tony. Uh, I'm I'm sure a thousand people have said this before. Carmela is just such a good character and is just such a such an interesting um counterweight to Tony and I and 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 you know watching the show you forget how much she goes through in this kind of roller coaster ride that she's on with him and tries to get off and has to get back on and does it for the family and just um I mean it's such an incredibly well crafted character and really um you know the the show would not be the same without her or, or, or really the show. I could not fathom being nearly as good without someone as, um, formidable. I mean, Edie Falco, I mean, I mean, Edie Falco is just like insane. I mean, she's so good. And, uh, I, I'm, I, that's, that's probably a lame answer, but, but I really, I really do love her. No, it's a great, it's a great answer. Uh, thoughts on the ending. Oh, um, they totally, I mean, they totally die. Um, I've like all of them, all of them. I, I, so I think I, the reason why I think that they all die is that Meadow, there, there's so much time spent with Meadow parking the car. There, there has to be a reason why she doesn't get inside. And it's, it's to show that she lives and that she doesn't suffer the fate of them. And I just think that 
the show did too much foreshadowing of what happens when you die, that it just goes black and what have you, for it to then go black and for them not to have died, I, I, I have to believe that at least... I'm not, I, I don't know 100% if all of them die. See, it's tough because I want to say maybe Tony just dies, but the show is not 100% from Tony's perspective. So if it goes black at the point that Tony gets shot, then that's not really 100% correct. It would have to be that they all die and that the show ends because it's like showing their perspective like as a collective unit and that there's no more story to go on. Mm. No matter how many times... Wait, wait. I have to ask, like, like, what do you think? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think it was, I think it ended perfectly. And I think the fact that my answer is, I don't know is exactly what the, right, what David right. Chase intended. And that's the beauty of it. Um, of course. but I, I really believe in this three o'clock theory, this whole three o'clock yeah. thing where, where yeah. in a dream, Christopher is uh, warned by Brendan Falone and Mikey Palmisi to tell Tony and tell Paulie to watch out for three o'clock. Um, yeah. that is kind of not nail in the coffin for me, but I, I had Michael Imperioli on the podcast as well. And we discussed that. We discussed some of it off mic as well. And yeah. that is a very logical uh, sort of if if David Chase was doing like Chinese water torture from season one, that would be the that would be the closest thing to a Chinese water torture. So right, right, um, yeah. I and I subscribe to that above all others, but there's okay. so many angles. Um, and I kind of just like the ambiguity of it, man. Life doesn't button things up for you nicely. It just I, I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, last question, and then I'll let you get out of here. Thanks for doing the pod again. This has been a lot of fun. Game of Thrones fan. Uh, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan. Yeah, okay, uh, did you did you watch that? Well, we talk about it on the show as well because there's a lot of crossover okay. and there's all this like, is, yeah. is Sopranos better than Game of Thrones? Everybody wants to know that. Yeah. Um, are you team Arya or whose team are you for the Iron Throne? Okay, so my my big theory is that I think that, and I and last night kind of squashed my theory a little bit. I think, but I wanted to believe that John and Daenerys would reign as one unit. Yeah. And, but, but I, but, but Daenerys last night seemed so angry and so not in a good place. And especially after John told her who he really was, she, I think that I'd forgotten how power hungry, quote unquote, she is. Yeah. As they all are, as they all are. But, but, but I think like I'd been lulled into this sense of, Oh, she's like really good hearted and that's it. And, I, I don't know. I mean, I will say if Sansa ends up on the Iron Throne somehow, I would be really happy just because that to me is like one of the greatest character transformations ever. Um, I think that we're now like last night showed us last night in hindsight, I think gave us so many goodbyes. I just don't know how many were people saying goodbye to each other and how many were people saying goodbye to us. Yeah. Like, yeah. How many people are going to die? Like, obviously, some Starks have to die. Sure. And so I'm not I'm not 100% sure. I, I, I really like Arya, but I, I wonder within the the world of the show, if you will, how they handle things. Like, she's not really herself anymore. And I've always wondered if, like, within the mythology of the show, if they allow that to, like... Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, like, totally. Brand, no, totally. How, like, 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 like Bran. Like, Bran is not Bran anymore. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, and they really stress that. Like, she's, like, she's not herself anymore, and Bran's not himself anymore. And so, like, does that mean that they're allowed to brain? Or, like, could they take over the throne? Could they? It, it, it's really hard to say. I'm I'm really, I was just reading that 
Sunday night is like the longest continuous battle scene ever in on television. Somehow they've like calculated that. Um, it's directed sure by the guy. It, it's directed by the same person that did hard home and, uh, the battle of the bastards. So that kind of gives you an insight. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm mostly just like, I think that the show as a, like t- as a big TV watcher, I'm very sad to see like the last consensus show go away. Like, yeah, yeah, that's true. I think that, I think that that's why people to kind of bring it back to the Sopranos a little bit. Like, I think that's why my generation, like really, you know, or like younger generations, like the age of people that I quote in the story, like twenties, thirties, like even their forties, like I think that's why they like this. Like they like this idea of like being able to watch a show that has so much like discourse and language around it and stuff like that. Like there has not really been a show that's arisen in the past few years, despite the fact that there's amazing television out there, there's not such a show that like has so much like, you know, material behind it and so much like stuff to read and stuff to, to, to kind of swallow outside of the parameters of the television. It's sad to see Game of Thrones go for, for that, if only for that reason. I mean, for many reasons, but that's like definitely a big one. For sure. Jacob, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, great piece yeah. in the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for coming on the pod. Yeah, thank you for the time. I really appreciate it. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm so glad that you're still doing this pod so many years after the show's ran. It's really great. It's a lot of fun, and it's great to talk to people yeah. like you and keep it going. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, man. Have a good rest of the week. Bye. Bye.